Hey, this is John. Let's Talk Native is now on Patreon. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash letstalknative. We will be producing exclusive content for our Patreon supporters. Thanks for checking us out. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cataraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. We highlight the voices of Native activists, writers, poets, artists, thinkers, and musicians who are fighting for the rights of Indigenous people all over Turtle Island. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. In this moment of historical change and social justice, our voices matter now more than ever before. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Say hello, this is John Kane, and welcome to the program. Hey, I we we went through this a little bit right after the uh, this whole idea of passing a stimulus or approaching a stimulus, where some of the folks from Washington were asking the various Native governments. What's the ask? What do you want out of the federal government uh, with, a, with, with a stimulus package? Well, that same question is now being asked because there's going to be, appears to be, a, a new president in, in, uh, in Washington. So the question ends up, what's the ask? For me, sometimes I'm, I'm more prone to say, well, what's the demand or what's the expectation? And those aren't the same thing either. But Let's let's talk about that. I mean, what is the expectation or what should native people be asking of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? Because I know there's a lot of stuff that's going to get thrown around and, and, you know, where we sit on anybody's priority drops down immediately in spite of all of the 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 stuff we're hearing. And I don't know how true it is, you know, about how much the Navajo came out for. For Biden in Arizona, I guess we'll see. In fact, I got to—I'll I'll check in with, with Janine Yazi. We'll get her back on the program, and we'll we'll talk about that and the the, the COVID stuff that's uh, you know that's still tearing them up out there. But but beyond all that stuff, and what regardless of whatever anybody claims, uh, you know how much Native people have influenced or affected the outcome of this election, uh, we are an issue that administrations either have to confront or do confront, you know, whether it's through their policy, uh, policies in general, or, or just the fact that there's so much unsettled in, in terms of the relationship between Native people and, uh, and the United States. So what's the ask? Well, as I said before, when, when we were asked this about, um, about a stimulus, I said, well, how about you have the Interior Department do the effing job? <laughs> that, that was literally my, my comment then. And it's my comment now. So I'm going to talk about the the gaming issue because right now it still remains one of the biggest issues, uh, you know, confronting native territories and, and many native territories have gaming operations and many of them are being extorted for money from the states. Now, there's supposed to be a prohibition against that. There's, it's, it's actually not allowed, 
But the problem is the, the Interior Department is the agency that is charged with enforcing the terms of the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. So let me back up a little bit. In 1987, the state of California tried to shut down the Cabazon, which is a native territory in California that was doing a high stakes bingo operation, which is just bingo playing for more money. Um, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. In 1987, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Cabazon. And in fact, what they ruled was, look, state of California, if you've got gaming in your state, you can't tell the native people they can't do gaming, which is, and the problem with that ruling is what it suggests is that if you don't have gaming, then you can prohibit native territories from doing gaming, which I don't necessarily agree with. But, but they did tell California, you, if you've got gaming, they get to do gaming. Uh, so, so the cab is on one and that was in, in 1987. So all of a sudden, because of the language in that ruling, which, uh, and again, I got to be clear, the Supreme court didn't give the Cabazon permission to do gaming. They just upheld their right to do gaming. Well, and so all of a sudden folks in Congress start going nuts thinking, well, we better do something now. Now that this, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Capitons, they're going to do all kinds of gaming. They're going to do class two. They're going to do class three. They're going to have casinos. They're going to have mob money. They're going to have all this stuff going on. And, and of course, most of that stuff was BS. But in less than a year, they fabricated and manufactured the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act with, with very specific messaging and propaganda associated with it, making it sound like, oh, we're passing this for your protection. <laughs> so... Again, the Supreme Court ruling in Capazon didn't give us permission to get to gaming, nor did the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, IGRA. That didn't give us permission either. Here's what IGRA really did. What IGRA really did was that it, uh, it allowed both, it created a, a structure for the federal government and the states to get involved in our gaming. Because prior to that, there was a lot of questions. And obviously, the Supreme Court pushed back against the state in Capazon. So the states were, have never had any kind of unfettered access to our business. When IGRA got passed, it gave them a very strong authoritarian uh, position within uh, native gaming. Now, the other thing that it did, it created a framework where vendors could no longer be necessarily punished for, for contracting with native, uh, with, with native gaming uh, operations. So... It was, it was a boon for, for vendors. All of a sudden, they could say, look, we have a legal framework by which we can, we can you know, provide you know, equipment, food, I mean, even financing to, uh, to native gaming operations. So IGRA made it easier for the states. It made it easier for vendors. But it didn't really give us anything other than easier access to, you know, you know, to perhaps money or, or, you know, or vendors. But... But it didn't give us something. It, it gave them something. Now, but again, one of the things they kept saying is we're putting this to protect, in place to protect Native people from organized crime and from over-aggressive states. That's, that's what was said to us. Now, what they said about states was that states, you can't tax these. You have no authority, even though we're going to require that you negotiate a gaming compact with these tribes we are not going to allow you to to impose fees or taxation on them we will allow if you create you know a regulatory 
structure that that adds a burden to you as a state we will allow you to work out payments from the native gaming operations to offset your cost for developing, you know, a, a gaming authority, for instance, or, or, or perhaps, you know, uh, the cost associated with, with office and staffing for, for regulating native gaming. So not only do they give the state, the, the states, the opportunity to, to have a hand at regulating native gaming, they're also saying, and we can let you, you charge the, the, the native gaming operation for that regulation. So, but but anyway, that's the limit to where the states had any ability to pull any kind of revenue out of native gaming, unless unless they negotiated a revenue sharing agreement. Now, revenue sharing sounds nice. I mean, it sounds you know like sharing. Like oh yeah, we let, let us give you something um, out of the the goodness of our heart, and and perhaps you can give us something. Well, honestly, that's kind of the basis for revenue sharing. According to the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act and the Interior Department that regulates it or that it, uh, enforces the, uh, the, the rules of the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, a state cannot tax or impose a fee and, and, or force a tax or impose a fee, but they can negotiate revolutionary agreements. Now, in order to do so, they have to give something of considerable value. They have to make a concession. They have to concede something to the native territory or the or the gaming operation, and be uh, and and the revenue sharing has to be somehow equitable to whatever it is uh, uh, that they, they gave up. So they have to give something that is both substantial and quantifiable in order to receive a uh, a, a percentage of gaming revenue. So that's the rules now. When it, when it comes to even a state gaming compact, the Interior Department is, has, is supposed to approve these gaming compacts, which may include these revenue-sharing provisions. So there's three things that the Interior Department can do. They can approve a compact, they can approve a revenue-sharing agreement, or they can deny it, or they can do nothing, which is, a, which is like punting. You know, so they... they they neither approve nor reject it. They just kind of acquiesce and, and, and their silence allows these things to go forward. And they can write an opinion about some of the things that they may be troubled by, but that's not the same thing as saying that they, they rejected it. So many of the gaming compacts, including the ones the Seneca's have with, uh, with New York State, were compacts that were not necessarily fully endorsed or approved by the Interior Department. They were, these were the ones that they punted on. <laughs> So, and, and, the, and, and apparently the reason they wouldn't approve it was they were concerned about some of the revenue sharing uh, language. So, so the, the gaming starts in 2002 with the Seneca Nation and the, the terms of the revenue sharing are such, and here's the, here's the, the concession the state's offering. The state offers um, an exclusivity zone. And so what the state is saying is we will make sure that you have no competition. We will provide you the exclusive right to do gaming in all of Western New York. It was like 15 counties or something like that. From the other side of Rochester all the way to, you know, to the, the western edge of New York State. So that's what New York State gave up, the, the, an, ex, an exclusivity zone. Now, the language gets a little tricky because they make it – they said, well – we're still going to do our lotteries. We're, we're going to still do class two kind of gaming, you know, the, the kind that the state can do. We're not going to stop 
you know, uh, cut out all of our gaming operations, but we're not going to do casinos and that kind of stuff. So, uh, so this is your exclusivity zone. And for that, you're going to give us, um, starting when you open your doors, 18% of the net slot drop of the, uh, of the, the slot machines. Then, uh, after so many years, it'll, it'll increase to 22%. And then the, the bulk of that 14 year term of your, of the gaming compact, uh, that they, they signed to, for 2002, take them all the way to, to 2016, it would be at 25% at of the net slot drop. Now, 25%, that sounds like a manageable number until you break that number down. <clears throat> because 25% of the net slot drop means of the money that came comes into all of their electronic, their, their, their slot machines, after the payout of that slot machine, the state gets 25% of, of, uh, of, of what's the, what the machine takes in. So all of the expenses, including the expense for the machine, the maintenance, the, the cocktail waitress, the personnel, the, the, the footprint, all of that stuff comes out of the Seneca's end. There's no, nothing comes out of the 25% that the state pays. So this isn't 25% of the, of the net income. This is like 25%. And it's not quite the gross income because it does take, you know, it does take out the, the payments, but Everything comes out of the, the so-called 75% of the drop on the Seneca side. So when, by the time you break out down all the expenses, the state is looking at getting closer to 50% of the, uh, of the revenue, the net revenue of these slot machines. Now that's pretty high. So, but that's, but that's what the Seneca's agreed to. And that's what the interior department seems somewhat apprehensive to, to, to fully endorse, but, but again, punt it. So coming around 2009, and this is the Obama-Biden administration now. They're, that's when they, they, they step in office in 2009. In 2009, the Seneca said, you know what? We're not going to pay it anymore because now you've opened up all of these slot parlors in your, at your horse racing tracks. And there's three of them that are in the so-called exclusivity zone. And we're not going to pay you. So they, they started escrowing the money. And... This went on from, uh, let me see, from 2009 to 2013 to when they finally resolved this conflict. But in that time, $600 million was withheld from the revenue sharing agreement. And there was all this talk, well, it was going to go into arbitration. Never did. It never did. It dragged on for, for that many years. And, and, and part of the thing is the Interior Department would never step up. Now, 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 again, let me remind you, the Interior Department and the Bureau of Indian Affairs, they are charged with being the agency to enforce the rules of, uh, of this, uh, uh, the Indian Gaming, IGRA, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. So there are no show. There are no show through that whole term, you know, that, that whole, uh, you know, Obama administration. They, they never get their Interior Department to do anything. And again, this is the Biden administration, a Biden-Obama administration. So in the end, the, the, now the state saying, you know what, we want to do casino gaming too, We're, and, but we still want to honor your, uh, your ex exclusivity zone. So let's work this out. So they asked the Seneca's, you know, what's your proposal on this money that you, you've withheld? So the, Seneca, the Seneca's basically say, well, we'll we're going to keep 200 million of that $600 million. So, and we're going to essentially give, we're going to keep a third of it. So you could just, you could kind of interpret that okay. So the state is acknowledging that they violated the compact, and we're willing to pay two hundred million dollars for that violation. Now the problem is, 
this doesn't solve what's going forward. It only solves the fact that they, they basically had, had competition looking backwards. The state wasn't getting rid of their slot parlors. And the Senecas never negotiated. They didn't say, okay, not only are we going to keep a third of it, but we're going to reduce the amount that we're paying you by a third. No, they didn't do that. They're still, they're still agreeing to pay 25% of the net slot drop. So they keep $200 million. They give the state $400 million. And, um, and the, the conflict is, is resolved. So why did this, the Senecas do that? Well, I'll tell you why the Senecas did it. <laughs> and, and the counselors... The president, the executive, they, they all admitted that. They said, look, we know that there's a cost of doing business. And in order to keep the state at the table for a gaming compact, we had to give, we had to pay them. So they paid the state of New York $400 million so they would renew the compact at the end of 2016. So this was about going forward. Now, so that's what they did. And, and that was the justification. And I talked to counselors. I heard counselors flat out say, well, if we didn't, if we didn't pay them something substantial, they, uh, they might not renew the compact in 2016. Now, we'll, we'll get to what happens in 2016. But, but again, through that whole time, this never d- does go into arbitration. And the Interior Department remains completely silent about revenue sharing. And I got to tell you, the Senecas aren't the only ones who are facing this 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 implied extortion. And again, let me be clear. The, the, the sense that the, the counselors and the executive at the Seneca nation, the, the sense that they had is they needed to continue to pay this revenue sharing. Otherwise the state would not re, uh, renew the compact. And again, the implication there is that if the state walks away from the compact in 2016, then what the Seneca has got to shut down. There's nothing in the law that says that. What the law says is that uh, uh, to operate under IGRA, the, 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 gaming, the native gaming enterprise and the state need to negotiate a gaming compact. It says nothing about what happens when the state, if, if the state says, no, I'm not going to renew it. It's one, of the, it's one of the open-ended questions. So what happens in, 20, in, in the run-up to, to 20, the 2016, the renewal, the Seneca is very quietly look at this at this renewal and they say you know we're going to renew this compact as it's written but as it's written there is no language for revenue sharing beyond the 14 the initial 14 year term there's nothing in fact it, it lays out 20 you know 18% you know for a couple of years 22% for a few more years and the last 7 years at at 25% it says nothing about what the revenue sharing would be or, or there's no language in the compact that talks about any payment past the 14-year initial uh, period of, the, of, of their compact with the, with the state of New York. So the Senecas very quietly um, agreed to renew the compact as it was written. And then at the, uh, at the start of 2017, under this, this new renewal period, which is for, for seven years, they um, stopped paying the state. And they said, no, we're, we're done. And, and the state makes it sound like, well, what do you mean? you're done. Of course, it's not quite that innocent because the Senecas were the only ones who knew there was no language in there. In fact, some of the local municipalities who get 25% of what they send to the state said, you know, there's no language in here about us getting paid, right? And the state says, oh, don't worry about it. And, and that was, so the state was very cool about the whole thing because neither party raised the issue that there's no language in the renewal 
ter uh, the terms of the renewal of the compact that suggest payments would continue. And neither one is bringing it up. So the Senecas are trying to be coy about it, but the state's trying to be coy about it too because they're going to they're going to say, "Oh no, of course it's of course it's in there." So when this conflict starts, again, Interior Department's no show. Now, eventually, this this slides into the, into the Trump administration <laughs> because in in uh, in twenty six at the beginning of twenty seventeen is when um, the Senate can stop paying. Now, so the the Obama administration never addressed the revenue sharing uh, stuff through their Interior Department, and of course, the the Trump administration didn't. They barely filled even even filled positions. So you have both the Democrats and the Republicans who, again, continue to remain completely silent on the fact that states, including Oklahoma, New Mexico, and other states, are extorting money out of Native territories. So at the end, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, the, the state um, goes into arbitration and then gets the two white guys on a three-panel judge to say, oh, of course the Senate has got to pay. So now, no longer is revenue sharing an agreement. Now it's an imposition. Now, the, essentially, revenue sharing is being dictated to the Seneca Nation um, against their will. And the sense is that they're bound by the ruling of arbitration to have the, the arbitration panel, at least two out of the three, one, one sided with the Senecas, but two of them said, no, we side with the state. So essentially, the arbitration panel rewrites the compact. And so the, the Seneca Nation says to the Interior Department, well, our compact isn't as written anymore. You need to rule on this thing. So no, they, they refuse. So bring me to where we're at now. So when, I, when, you, when I'm asked the question, what should be the ask of the Biden administration? How about you do what you didn't do when you were vice president? And how about you do what the Trump administration refused to do, which is have the Interior Department finally step up. Look, there's all kinds of stuff being thrown out there. Oh, yeah, the Biden's going uh, to put uh, some Native people on his cabinet or something like that. We, I, I, I don't care about whether a Native... And, and I heard some of the names. <laughs> some of the names included guys like Ray Halbert and Rob Porter. I'm not saying, uh, saying that Biden is saying these, but these are some of the names that are being floated out in the press. The other one was... Was Sharice Davids. Well, if she, she just got elected as a congresswoman, and if it was so important to have a native congresswoman, why would you strip her out of that position and put her in a cabinet? I mean, it, none of this stuff makes any sense to me. Look, of the things that we really need from, uh, you know, from the, uh, you know, the White House, is them to stop violating us. We don't need the, these token gestures, you know, cabinet spots or or special positions or even, you know, some other gifting of, of, you know, promised legislation that never really does anything. No, we don't need any of that stuff. What we need to do is stop trying to tax us, stop trying to regulate us and stop remaining silent when states are, are, are abusing us. And, and that's the big one, because here's the, the there's two things that should be done here. One is that the state's need to um, the interior department has to evaluate and properly evaluate under their own terms are these revenue sharing agreements legal because they're not i mean because here's the bottom line it's the interior department who said the states have to concede something that is both quantifiable it means you'd be able to you you should be able to put a dollar value on it and uh, it has to be substantial and quantifiable and by substantial it means it better be close to what you're getting paid. 
The Senecas paid, it, they would have paid over a, a billion and a half dollars to the state of New York during that first 14-year term of, the, of their compact. But they, but they kept 200 million. So they paid $1.4 million to, or I'm sorry, $1.4 billion to the state of New York, a billion of which left the area completely. Only, only about 25% you know, came back to, to Western New York. I mean, they were supposed to pay 1.6, 400 million would have, would have come back to the area and, and did come back to the area. So even when the, the Senecas kept that 200 um, million from that, uh, what they withheld, the state still paid, made sure that, that the municipalities got made whole out of what they should have gotten. They took the, the state took the hit on the 200 million, not the, not the local municipality. So at the end of the day, $1.4 billion went to the state of New York and a billion dollars. It's, it's funny because everybody talked about, oh, Cuomo promised a billion dollars to Western New York in the Buffalo billion. <laughs> the only thing that definitely happened was a billion dollars flow, flowed out of Western New York through the Seneca Nation. I mean, that's money that left the area, never to come back. So that's how much money the state you know, pulled, out of, uh, pulled out of this revenue sharing agreement. What they gave was essentially meaningless. And, and I'll t explain that in a couple of ways. Not the least of which is that the, to the extent that the, the, the state of New York could compete against Seneca Gaming, they did compete against game, Seneca Gaming. They put, they put three slot parlors out and, you know, uh, in, in the racetracks, Batavia, Finger Lakes, and, uh, and the Hamburg Fairgrounds, and they filled them up with slot machines. They clearly took market share away from the, uh, away from the Seneca Nation. Now, did they build casinos? No, but you know what? They couldn't. They couldn't. They were, le they were legally prohibited. So they didn't give up casinos to the Seneca Nation. They couldn't do them anyway. To the extent that they could, they could jam a bunch of slot machines in there, they did that. And they used the Senecas for 14 years to soften up their electorate so they could pass a constitutional amendment to the, U to the New York State Constitution so they could enter into, the, into casino class 3 gaming. And one of the sites they put right on the edge of, of the exclusivity zone. So basically, it may be outside of the exclusivity zone, but it's clearly part of the market, and that's the one on the other side of Rochester. I mean, the state really took away any value that their so-called exclusivity provision gave. It certainly didn't have the value of one and a half or what would have been $1.6 billion or 1.4, which is what they actually paid. And so if you, if you do any kind of assessment on what the state conceded, what their concession was for revenue sharing, it, it has no, it really has no tangible value. Because they either they, they, they didn't give up class three gaming, they couldn't do class three gaming. And they didn't give up class two gaming, they, they put slot parlors, they had just as many slot parlors uh, as the Senecas did. They, they, and, they, and they filled it right within that exclusivity. And of course, they did it throughout the state as well. So there was no real tangible value. You could not give a quantifiable value for what the state conceded, even though what they received was very quantifiable. They were trying to squeeze them for 1.6. In the end, got them for $1.4 billion in 14 years. And that's where we're at right now. We're, we're, we're facing that same battle over and over again.
All right. We're at the bottom of the hour. We'll take a break. When I come back, I want to get into where things stand now and what, again, what is the ask of the, of, of the Biden-Harris administration? Like I said, do your effing job. We'll talk about that more when we come back. This is John Cain. This is Let's Talk Native. All right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. Hey, before I get back into it, let me remind people that I have a, a pretty good video that I did on the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. And if you look for it on our YouTube channel, which is um, Let's Talk Native TV on YouTube, this is a video, actually, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, a little bit of bragging rights. This video has a lot of views, and part of the reason it had a lot of views, it was used actually to, to teach a class on, uh, on, on gaming law. So uh, it, it, it's... It's pretty informative. It's not terribly long. So if you want to get get a close, a, a better uh, explanation on what the Indian gaming regulatory is and what it isn't, uh, I encourage you to to go to our YouTube channel, Let's Talk Native TV, and check out that video. Of course, you can check out all the videos. We've got a bunch of short form videos as well as all of these shows end up on YouTube. So um, do check it out. Look, I want to give a shout out to our uh, uh, sponsors, uh, Ross and Holly John, the RGE family of businesses. Um, uh, ERW, uh, Eric White and ERW Enterprises and the folks at Grand River Enterprises. Um, look, we, um, we're back to, to square one with, with this. Well, actually not quite square one. So the, the Seneca's withheld payment once the new term, the renewed renewal of the, uh, of the gaming compact with the state of New York uh, occurred on the premise, as I said, that there's no language in there talks about payments past the, the original original 14 years. Now, when this went to arbitration, the the Seneca's lost an arbitration. I mean, it, it's almost bizarre to me that they could lose an arbitration because the thing about a contract or a compact, which is essentially a contract, there is there's a thing called the four corners doctrine of contract law, which says if it ain't in there, you can't suggest that it's in there. I mean, you can't say that there are impl implied terms of a contract. There are only explicit terms of a contract. So you can't say, well, it's assumed or it's implicit. No, you if it's not in there, and that's the, when they say the four corners, that means if it is, isn't in the document, you can't suggest that, it's, um, that it was meant to be. If it ain't in there, it ain't in there. And that was the basic premise that the, that the, the Seneca's took. They didn't even get in to the real debate on whether the uh, the the revenue sharing agreement was was still legal i mean you, you could argue that when the senecas got involved in this thing they didn't know how much they would be pay, be paying when they when they agreed to to what uh, you know 18% 22% 25% of the net slot drop would be i don't even think the senecas believed that they would end up paying a billion and a half dollars to the state of new york and if they did i know there's no way that they ever truly evaluated the so-called ex exclusivity provision as being worth that much. And the thing is, when the Interior Department says the state has to concede something of, of considerable value and it has to be substantial and quantifiable, what, what they mean is that there has to be a reason economically for, uh, for a gaming enterprise to pay for that, which means it has to be it, what the state gives up it can't be worth 
less than what the uh, what the gaming enterprise is paying. It should be the other way around. It should be something that the state can afford to give up, and but it should be um, an incentive. I mean, there should be a real value. I mean, and it, and it should be worth more to the gaming enterprise to have the exclusivity than not have this exclusivity. So if you do that math, here's what you end up. So what provides better exclusivity? Paying 25% of the net slot drop to the state when they're still going to compete against you, even if their machines are not fully class three and they're going to build the casinos on the edge of the exclusivity zone or have a 25% better operating value, uh, margin than, uh, than any competition. I mean, what would be the best way to keep anybody from building a casino in Niagara Falls? Well, how about having an extremely better position to compete? If, I mean, for all intents and purposes, if even these racetrack racinos they were calling casinos in the beginning um if they have to pay the state 40 percent of their slot drop or, or their their revenue and the senecas pay nothing because they're, they're no longer paying this exclusivity payment then can you really compete against them and the answer is no i mean so when, when somebody says well if you don't pay uh you know continue to do the revenue sharing well the state of new york's going to build a casino in niagara falls no they won't because what for one thing, what bank, what lender, and what casino operator is going to say, yeah, let me build a casino that has to stand right beside the, the Seneca uh, Niagara Casino where I have to pay 40% of the state and they pay nothing. I mean, it just isn't going to happen. And if you don't believe me, here's an example. DeLago, which is the, the state-licensed casino that is sharing you know that, that's taking market share from the senecas because they're just on the fringe of the exclusivity zone they aren't making any money and i'm not saying there's no revenue but they aren't making enough money to pay their debt service down they spend all this money building this casino and they can't pay for it they're only paying the interest on the loans they, they can't pay any of the premium down on uh, the principal down on, on their loans why because they're not making enough money and so what are they saying well the problem is we're paying too much to the state and they actually tried to make the argument, well, the problem is that we haven't, that the Senecas have an unfair advantage because they stopped paying the state and we're still paying. Well, the reality is the Senecas may have stopped paying the state, but they, they weren't like putting that money back into their competitive advantage. They were just kind of sticking it aside. So the claim from DeLago is that they can't compete even where they're, even not being right next door, even being on the throughway where, where, you, where they can, everybody can see them as they drive by. They're saying they can't compete against Seneca Gaming because they're paying the state too much. They already made my argument for us. I mean, they, they, they're simply not making, making enough revenue. And they're not the only ones that are struggling. None of them are performing nearly um, to what their forecasts were when they, were, when they bought these, these licenses and, and made their promises to the state on how much they were going to make. No, none of them are doing it. So the reality is... Either you, you really can't compete against the Senecas, you know, whether it's a quality issue or whatever else, or the fact of the matter is the gaming market isn't as big as, uh, as what people thought it was. So what's this? Uh, so how do you evaluate, again, the exclusivity that the, that the state claims is worth $200 million a year? Well, you can't. And they not only could the state, but the interior department could very easily bring in industry experts to say, well, 
what is the state giving versus what they're getting? But they won't do it. So here's the ask. And, and, and it's two part. The one ask is Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden specifically, do what you didn't do when you were the vice president, you know, uh, under Obama. Make the Interior Department do their job. Make them evaluate these exclusivity uh, or these revenue sharing agreements that essentially have Oklahoma, New Mexico and New York State. And, and I don't even know how many others extorting money out of uh, out of native gaming, because not only are the revenue sharing agreements not fair. I mean, and, and, and are, are they do they stand in stark violation of the the language of uh, IGRA and the evaluations of IGRA? But there's the real extortion isn't that while well, you either pay us or, or we're going to compete against you. No, that's not that's not really where the extortion comes in. The extortion comes in where the states, including New York State, imply that if you don't do a revenue sharing agreement, we won't renew our uh, our uh, gaming compact with you. That's a concern the Senecas have today because. Right now, they stopped payment in at the start of 2017. The next renewal period is in uh, 2023. So in the back of the Seneca's, Seneca Nation's mind is, well, right now, the arbitration said we have to pay. They haven't paid yet, as far as I know. But the arbitration panel ruled against us. So as far as all of the language that's out there, they are ultimately going to have to pay unless they can get the Interior Department to step up. That's The only way the Senecas can stop this revenue-sharing payment is if the Interior Department does their job, which they haven't done in, in two administrations. So that's the ask. But see, the extortion comes in when the state implies that if we don't renew our compact, then you are no longer a legally operating at least under the terms of IGRA, a native gaming operation. Now, that's probably not even true. And I have to say probably because, again, the Interior Department won't answer the goddamn question. If a state negotiates a compact and something sunsets like revenue sharing and the state says, we no longer want to renew our compact, does that mean native gaming has to end? Because there's nothing in IGRA that says that. IGRA just says to open a casino, you have to negotiate a compact with the state. Well, they did that. Now it's open. And now it's among the largest employers in all of Western New York. Thousands of people work there. There's, you know, it, the economic impact of, of Seneca Gaming is huge in the Western uh, New York area. And frankly, it would be bigger yet if a billion dollars every, you know, every seven years wasn't being ripped out of the Western New York. It would be a, even a bigger impact here. So does the state have the power to shut a ga gaming down? Because there's nothing in the law that says they do. If the state walks away from a compact, and if the unwritten quid pro quo is, you pay us or we don't give you a compact. I mean, and even if the state isn't coming right out and saying it, that's the implication. And that's what the belief is that strangles or chokes, <laughs> or knee on the neck, of the Seneca Nation. They're saying, well, in fact, all their lawyers are telling them to go ahead and pay. In fact, some of their lawyers are saying, you know what? Why don't we avoid this whole, you know, thing every seven years with renewing a compact and make it permanent? 
you permanently pay 25% of the net slot drop, which is almost approaching 50% of the, of the net revenue of these gaming facilities. Now, keep in mind, the Seneca Nation isn't making as much money today, not just because of COVID-19, but the market is saturating. Not only do they have competition from the state directly through their racetrack casinos, but other states, Canada. I mean, there, there are, there's a lot of competition around. And turns out gaming isn't recession proof. So when the, the financial crisis hit in 2008 uh, and, and, and of course, COVID-19, obviously COVID-19 affected them. They, they shut the damn things down. And, and of course they had to because other, otherwise more, more, even more people would have died in New York. New York holds the record for the amount of deaths, but there were even more would have died. So there are things, there are forces out there that can destroy gaming, native gaming, state gaming, whatever. But among the things that can destroy it is, is um, an, a saturated market or, and or, a market that goes away for a variety of reasons, whether it's economic reasons, whether it's, you know, uh, public health reasons. The Seneca Nation's in a tough spot. You know, when, and again, the reason, you know, back when they were talking about a stimulus check, you know, for, you know, for native territories, the reason I said, well, the ass should have been making the, the, the interior department do their effing job. There's a half a billion dollars that the Seneca Nation is afraid to do anything with because they, they've set it aside to have to pay the state. And it will be a billion dollars unless, you know, COVID continues to ravage, uh, you know, the gaming oper operations. But under normal circumstances, that seven years at 25%, that would have been another billion dollars to the state. It's, it's outrageous to think that, that these states can extort money when there was supposed to be a specific prohibition against that very thing. The whole reason that, that IGRA, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, was pitched to Native people was to say, we're going to protect you. Well, where are the freaks of protection? And it isn't just New York State. So here's the question I have. When you're asking Joe Biden to do this, can there, is there a real expectation that Joe Biden will cross Andrew Cuomo? Another you know, significant player in the Democratic Party. I mean, and Kamala Harris. I mean, she was. I mean, she was the, the state attorney general in California. California hasn't exactly created a, a warm and fuzzy environment for for Native people. She she did. She argued against every one of the land trust ap applications uh, in California. So this is an administration that doesn't have a great track record. If you consider Biden's tenure as vice president during the Obama administration and their failure to get the Interior Department to do anything, and why? I mean, and it's not, it doesn't just stop there. Keep, keep in mind, there, there was the PACT Act passed during the Obama administration, uh, you know, which shut down um, um, direct sales from from native territories of tobacco, to, you know, to, to consumers. They they passed. Um, uh, a a health insurance, a Chipra, which had a, a floor tax provision, where the interior or the, the treasury department came after native retailers and wholesalers and said, "We're going to charge you a tax for product you have sitting on your floor. That we're going to we're going to charge you the difference in the tax the way it was when you bought it, 
and and what it, what it will be as you sell it. So so people are getting these these tax notices for tens and hundreds and even millions of dollars for product they already purchased just because it's sitting on the sitting on our territories. I personally played a role in trying to push back on that. In the end, most of those who didn't pay were never again pursued for payment. Although the Obama administration did did take $230,000 out of a uh, out of a a Seneca account. So the Seneca Nation account. I mean, so the Seneca Nation basically had almost a quarter of a million dollars taken out of our account. And they said, well, it's, it's, it's floor tax payment. We're, we're stealing it from you. <laughs> they seized it from their account. They didn't send them a bill and said, when, when are you going to make, make these payments? They just took it from, from one of their accounts. I mean, as it, crazy as that sounds. And that's never been, uh, been, been addressed. It's never been addressed. So, I mean, the relationship, and I didn't even mention Standing Rock and, and some of the other stuff. So, look, the Obama-Biden uh, Obama administration didn't exactly have the greatest track record with Native people. Uh, lots of lip service. Oh, they even had a special Native American um, advisor to the White House. Uh, ironically, <laughs> she happened to be the sister of the guy, of Dave Archambault, where, where the, um, the pipeline, the code access pipeline was being rammed through. It, it, you, you can't make this stuff up. So what do you, what's the ask of, of this administration? No, it isn't. Can you put more native people in your cabinet? It's make your interior department enforce the laws against the state, not against us. Let me repeat what I said at the beginning of the program. IGRA did not make native gaming legal. What it did was it created an opportunity for the states to get involved in native gaming but it was supposed to regulate those states. IGRA wasn't just about regulating us. And frankly, we could argue that, that IGRA is not a requirement for us to do gaming. What it's a, a requirement for is for the state to get involved in gaming. And it does make it smoother for, for non-native vendors to do business with us. And that's why native people lined up to do it. I mean, I'm not saying it was, it was a wise choice. But after IGRA was passed in, in 1988, in fact, not only did many Native territories get involved in gaming, many other Native territories actually got involved in the federal recognition process so they could do gaming. Or they got involved in the recognition process and realized that it was such an expensive process that the only way they could pay for it was to uh, you know, have a plan to do gaming. I mean, it, it, be, it became, literally became the tail wagging the dog. And, and it turns out that the, that the one who really had control over the dog is, is the state. And the, and the federal government will not reel the states back in. So, again, two things. Make the Interior Department do its job in enforcing the, 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 the legality of or, or shutting down the illegal revenue sharing agreements that, that various states have with Native territories. And set the record straight. That no, Andrew Cuomo, you cannot threaten the Senecas by saying either you give me money through revenue sharing or I'm not going to renew the compact and that, and, and that means you got to shut down. The Interior Department and, the, and this administration has to be clear and say, look, state, if you walk away from a compact, that's on you. you. That doesn't give you the authority to shut native gaming down. And there are some lawyers 
who are saying, yeah, we're not sure that if the state walks away from a compact and refuses to renew, renew that means it, it means you have to shut down. Of course, they just say, we're not sure. And is that too big a risk? Well, this could be cleared up with, with a simple evaluation from the Interior Department. What is What happens if a state, whether it's out of vindictiveness or whatever, maybe they, they just don't want to provide staffing and personnel anymore. I mean, for only, I don't know how a state who is in the gaming industry can actually regulate somebody else that's in this gaming that they're competing against. But that's, that's what's been created here. So the Interior Department needs to, uh, it needs to, to end these illegal revenue sharing agreements and cancel them out and say no the state, to the states. You don't have the, the, um, a legal recourse to force Native people to pay you. And no, you can't extort them by threatening to not renew a compact. If you don't renew a compact, then the, the, then they'll just continue without you. And and you know the sky's not going to fall if if Seneca's went on uh, still operating their casinos without the the state regulators. Nothing would change, except for they'd stop paying a bill to the state. You know for you know for them to regulate them. And if, if anything. Look, the, the federal government could step up and, and, and play its role if they wanted to. I'm not crazy about that idea either. But if a state walks away from a gaming compact, there's no way that that should empower them to shut gaming down. And these are two simple answers. Look, there are other things that, that you know, that other expectations or, or demands or asks that could come from various native territories. But from where I sit and what I see here in New York and what I've heard about uh, in, or, or in relate to, relating to New York and and what I see Native Territories going through in Oklahoma with, with that governor, um, this, this is part of the problem, is the that the Interior Department has failed to do its job. There's no way that they should be allowed to punt. When, when, when there's a requirement that says the, the Interior, Interior Department has to review and approve a gaming compact, they shouldn't be allowed to say, no, we're just not going to approve it. We're going to let it go through without our approval. Well, it's your freaking job. And, and, and let's be clear here. One major thing did happen after IGRA. And, and one, of the, one of the provisions in the original Indian Gaming Regulatory Act was that if a state refused to negotiate a gaming compact in good faith, a native territory could sue the state and, and force them to do it. And Florida fought it. And they said that that violates, um, I don't know if it was the 11th, I think it was the 11th Amendment. Basically, the federal government can't force a state um, into a lawsuit, basically. They can't make them be, you know, victims of a lawsuit. So that provision of IGRA went away. So, so native territories no longer had a recourse to, to pressure states into, uh, uh, into a, negotiating a compact. And nothing ever got put in, in, in its place to, to, to compensate the fact that the native interests in IGRA lost their leverage. It's not like the federal government says, well, you know what? If the states don't want to negotiate a compact, you can negotiate a compact with us. They never did that. They, they provided nothing. There was no other fix to this stripping away that provision of IGRA. So 
so not only did Igra lose, or did the native people lose a, a major piece of their leverage in Igra after it was passed, but in the 32 years of Igra, there is still giant question marks about the legality of revenue sharing and the power that the states have to extort money by refuse, you know, uh, from, from native gaming through revenue sharing by leveraging their power to either negotiate or not negotiate a gaming compact. 32 years this thing's been placed, since 1988. In 32 years, the Interior Department, through all of these administrations, have not been able to answer this freaking question? So there's the ask. The ask is take care of your business. Do your job. Forget about all of the, you know, the window dressing and lip service you want to pay us. Do your freaking job. I said it back when, when this COVID thing happened. Because I guarantee the Seneca Nation would not be hurting as much. Even with, this, with COVID shutting their gaming down and now having them operate at 50%. They wouldn't be hurting as much if that half a billion dollars they have sitting in account wasn't, didn't have to be earmarked for, as an extortion payment to New York State. If they could use that money. But in the meantime, Senecas have, have lost some of their um, their annuities that they get. Um, many of their services have, have, been, have had to be altered. There are many people who were fired or let go. And so, I mean, everything's had to contract while half a billion dollars sits there as a, as a potential extortion payment to New York State. Because the Interior Department not only during Obama and Biden, but during Trump and Pence. And now the big question is what happens with, with Biden and Harris? Are, is there finally going to be some movement to get the interior department to do its freaking job? You created this monster by, you know, or at least the, the Congress did when they passed this law, but it was, it finally gave the interior department some, some real relevance other than being just cumbersome and, and a bureaucracy. Now it's not even a bureaucracy. It'd be great if there was some sort of bureaucratic intervention here, but they're not doing anything. They're just sitting back. In fact, when the Senecas asked the Interior Department to uh, to look at this, you know, at whether this revenue sharing is even legal, the Interior, Interior Department said, well, if both parties asked us to look at it, we would. Well, that's like saying you're extortionist, has to agree to be investigated. You can't just charge somebody with extortion. You're extortionist. So look, if you're the one that's committing the crime, you don't have to, you, you don't have to be investigated because you say, no, I don't want to. I don't want, I don't want to be investigated. I mean, there's no question that New York State is squeezing this money out of the Seneca Nation. And it's not only the half a billion dollars that the Seneca Nation sorely needs right now. It's another half a billion dollars that they're going to need going forward. Why? Because the gaming market ain't what it used to be, folks. And it may never come back the way it was, both because of competition and because who knows what kind of... If, if, the, if the middle class that, re, that is required to be the, the patrons of these uh, casinos will, will ever have any kind of real economic recovery who knows we'll see that's our program thanks for listening and we'll see you in a few days Yahweh.